Okay. How's that? Good. Great. Thanks very much, Lindsay. Thanks, Mal, also for sharing. Um, interesting that, um, you know, you had to run it past Betty this time. <laughs> I think what he didn't say is that Betty also had the stopwatch while he was there. <laughs> That was great. Thanks. Thank you for remembering. That's what it's all about. Remembering what Jesus has done. Okay. Um, as Lindsay said, the title this week is One Sows and Another Reaps. And uh, you, may, you will remember, I'm sure, the last time I shared with you was from that beautiful passage in John chapter 4 of the meeting between Jesus and the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus was making a hasty departure from Jerusalem because he was becoming too popular too soon and there was a risk that he would be arrested before his time. So he left to go to Galilee and the Bible says he needed to go through Samaria. Remember that? And uh, that doesn't mean he needed to go through it geographically. In fact, I explained that most Jews didn't go that way. But he needed to go because the father had an appointment for him to meet that woman at the well and to minister to her. And when they met, he asked her for a drink of water and uh, she was surprised. She said, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, for water? And Jesus said, well, if you knew who it was that was asking, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And she didn't quite get it. She said, well, you've got nothing to draw from. And uh, Jesus then went on to explain that whoever has the water that he gives will never thirst again. That water will be inside him like a fountain springing up to eternal life, everlasting life. And uh, she still wasn't getting it. And um, then he said to her, okay, well, go and call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And of course, he said that because he knew all about her. And he wanted to know, wanted her to know that he knew all about her, but that he didn't see that a problem was so much a sin problem, but a thirst problem. He said, you've well said you have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're with now is not your husband. You've gone from one husband to another husband. Another husband. Yes, it's sin, but you're thirsty. You're looking for something which only I can give. And... Uh, she said, wow, I perceive you're a prophet. That I only just met and yet he knew all about her and told her. And uh, she tried to change the subject, you remember? She said, well, you know, you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem, but we say it's on this mountain. Which one is it? And Jesus said, the time is coming and now is when those who worship God will worship in spirit and in truth. And she said, well, when Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, you're looking at him. That's where we left it last time. She was absolutely stunned. She dropped her water pot and was just about to take off. She just was so full of excitement that she'd found the Messiah. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Uh, at this point, at this point, I love that. And you, God's timing is perfect. Jesus arrived at that well, the right place in all that country, the right well at the right time, in time for the disciples to leave and go and get some bread and so on. And then she arrived. 
And Jesus was able to freely minister to her, uninterrupted, uninhibited, and share with her and bring her to that place where he revealed himself as the Messiah. And then at that point, when mission was accomplished in that sense, his disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet, no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? I love that. You know, they didn't understand. They thought, this is not proper. This shouldn't really be happening. But no one questioned it. Why? Because they were his disciples. And he'd been teaching them and training them over this period of time that they were together. And they'd learned that even when they don't understand everything, he has a purpose. Now, that's interesting because that happens with us. We also are being discipled. We have a teacher with us, the Holy Spirit. He's our pedagogue, our teacher. And he's teaching us to focus on Jesus, to know all about him. And he's teaching us too that when we don't understand everything, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose. I wonder if you've got that lesson. I wonder if I've got that lesson, if I've learned it, if, I've, if I'm resting in that, that I don't need to understand what God is doing in every situation just to know that he is in control and he has a purpose. So nobody questioned him, even though they didn't understand. He didn't quite look right. And then the woman then left her water pot, left her water pot, went away into the city. Now, we can spiritualize that as some have done and say, well, she left a water pot but went away with a well, <laughs> went away with a fountain of life within her. But practically, she left that water pot because she intended to come back. Left it there, I'll be back. And she went and into the city, let's read, into the city and said to the men, she wanted to share, you see, I've read something recently which says, you know, uh, Jesus only gave the Great Commission to the 12. He didn't give it to us. He said, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, in a sense, that's true, okay. But, you know, there are some who are called to be missionaries and to go to other nations. But you can't just say that and say nothing else because we're all called to witness. We're all lights and we're called to let our light shine wherever we're placed. And to share, I mean, don't you want to share this greatness? She did. She was so excited. She wanted to share what she had with the people in her city. So she went and she said to the men, interesting, said to the men who knew all about her, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Now, they must have been surprised that she was so excited that someone had told her everything about her life and she was pleased. But then she said, could this be the Messiah, the Christ? Could our Messiah, the one we've been looking for, be like this? That he knows all about us and yet he loves us and he's come to help us and to save us? She was so excited that she, she, you know, this shame that she had that we spoke about before where she didn't really want to be kind of too much of a profile publicly, all of a sudden she goes to these men who knew all about her background and says, come see, that you've got to see this man. Could this be the Messiah? Could he be this good? Then they went out of the city 
and came to him. In the meantime, meanwhile, back at the ranch, (laughs) in the meantime, while God was doing something here, he was also doing something here in his disciples. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. Okay, the woman forgot her water pot, Jesus forgot to eat. (laughs) And the disciples, it's good that they were thinking about him. They brought some food, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Wow. I've got something that feeds me that you at this stage do not know about. They would know about it. Of course, they would experience it. They would receive it and they would share that with others. But at this stage, they had not learned to partake of this living bread. Just as this woman now had partaken of this living water and she had this fountain within her and she was so excited, Jesus said, I've got something to satisfy me even when I'm not eating. You know, there's a real danger when the gospel is focused on meeting our temporal needs, whether it's prosperity whether it's healing, and I believe in both of those in in a biblical context, of course. God does bless us and he does meet all our needs according to his riches in glory. God heals the sick, praise God. But when that becomes the focus, we've missed something. Because sometimes our circumstances are not good. God doesn't give us everything we want. God doesn't give us our best life now so that everything we want to make us happy happens. No, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it's challenging. But when we have this living bread or this living water inside us, Christ is sufficient in every situation. Amen? We we, we can be content. We can learn to be content in every situation because the greatest need has been met and Jesus lives inside us and his grace is sufficient for everything. Jesus said, I have this from my father. I'm living as a human, but I'm experiencing the divine life from my father. I have something to eat that you know not of yet. And then Jesus said, oh, they said, has anyone brought him anything to eat? They still didn't understand. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, Jesus' point is that we do not live by bread alone. As he said, man shall not live by bread alone. Of course, we need bread. We need physical, uh, our physical needs to be met, but we don't live by that alone. We have something beyond that. Doing the Father's will was his meat and drink, that which satisfied his inner being. His spirit had been invigorated by something that the disciples knew not at this stage they would come to know now grace doesn't make us lazy nor does it pander only to our physical comforts and wants it gives us inner strength that's the purpose of the grace of god it gives us inner strength and ability to face all situations and challenges of life also we discover that in dispensing blessing to others we are blessed ourselves Will God meet all your needs? Yes. Will he prosper you? Yeah, you may get blessed materially, but you know what? There's something beyond that. 
There's something greater than that. And, and, and Mao's been sharing about that, I believe, at communion. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If your focus is on all the blessings that God can give you, you'll get those. But there's something even beyond that. And Jesus experienced that. He gave this living water. And he forgot about the hunger, the physical hunger that he was experiencing. Now, let me just say this is not ministry as such that was his meat. Not just being busy for God, doing something, being busy, but doing the Father's will. This whole thing was a divine appointment. He was on a mission. He connected. He knew this whole thing was of God. And he was satisfied. He was excited. Now, I want to say this. Let's just go back here. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So there's the work of the Father and there's the work of Jesus. And though they're similar, there is a distinction. The Father appoints souls for salvation. I'm not just saying some are chosen and not, some are not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Father appoints people for salvation. There's nothing random. There's nothing accidental about salvation. God leads us to people and leads people to us as an appointment. Just like this whole setup with, with the woman at the well was an appointment. The Father appoints souls for salvation. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. That woman was given to Jesus by the Father. Amen. Amen. And, and you know, some people have said this. You remember when Peter and James healed that uh, lame man? And it was in John chapter 3. Uh, sorry, Acts chapter 3. Some commentators say Jesus would have passed that man many times when he was on earth and never healed him. He only did those things that the Father told him to do. So the Father appoints works for us as well. Beautiful. There's nothing random, nothing, not just go out there and see what you can do today. Have a go. No, there's appointments, divine appointments. I love that. This woman was given to Jesus by appointment. This is why he had to pass through Samaria. God has given us to Jesus. I want us to come back and re reflect again with thanksgiving upon our own salvation. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if God appointed us for salvation, he set it all up for us. How we should hear. Think again how you heard the gospel. Who did God send to you? What were the circumstances? That was not a coincidence. That was a God incidence. God arranged it. God appointed it. He appointed us to obtain salvation. The work of Christ was to go. So that was the work of the Father. The work of Christ was to go to the cross. He said, I've got to finish the work. I've got to finish the work the Father has given me. The work of Christ was to go to the cross to save us, to finish his work. That word finish is from the Greek word teleo, which is the root from which we get tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. A lot of Christians don't know it's finished. They think it's partially completed. We've got to finish what Jesus began. It's all up to us now. We can lose it. We can blow it. No, it's finished. It's the finished work. The 
Jesus came and finished the work the Father gave him to do. We enter into the finished work. Amen? Salvation is a finished work. Jesus' meat was to do the Father's will, which included going to those the Father sent him to. Our meat is not in seeing results, but in doing the will of the Father. You know, when I first became a pastor, uh, my training was five years. It was two years in theological college. And then I graduated from there and I was on a three-year practical probationary spell where I was pastoring a church. And every month I had to send in reports to headquarters, you know, the progress of my ministry. <laughs> I laugh when I look back. And there's questions like this. How many souls have you led to Christ this month? How many people have you baptized? You know, how many people did you visit? How many people? It was kind of like this. And so, you know, it was depressing because sometimes you go months without leading anyone to Christ. And you'd sort of fudge the figures a little bit. Yeah, well, one little girl put her hand up. I think she wanted to go to the toilet, but I won't tell them that. But, you know. Because there's a, there's a drivenness about that. There's a burden that comes upon me. You know, I'm, I can't help it if people don't come to Christ. But the work of the Father is to preach the gospel. That's what he called me to do. And I've done that. Every, every week, every... Every month, faithfully, I did that. I preached the word. I visited people. I prayed for people. I counseled people. And if they got saved, I baptized them. Amen? So I finished the work he gave me to do for that month, but not in the eyes of these people. They had results in mind. And we can, we can kind of get focused on results as being our meat. It's not. Our meat is to do the will of God. All I know is I've done what the Father wanted me to do. Amen? There's a wonderful satisfaction. In John chapter 5, verse 3, we'll get there eventually um, in the coming weeks. We read of a great multitude that will uh, lay at the pool of Siloam. But Jesus only ministered to one. Probably stepped over sick bodies to reach this man. And this is what he said later on when he was challenged. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now and I have been working. In other words, I'm doing those works that the Father has appointed for me. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Don't ask me to just go out and get results. I can't do anything of myself. But what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. That's ministry. We are co-workers and fellow laborers together with him and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel okay let's move on jesus then said to the disciples do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest behold i say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for in this the saying is true one sows and another reaps i sent you to reap that for which you have not labored others have labored and you have entered into their labors now 
Jesus said, do you not say there are four months? Let's just look at that for a moment. Farmers knew that there was a period, of course, of four months or so between sowing and reaping. You don't sow one day and then reap the very next day. Uh, you know, we, we even have the saying, don't we? You know, let nature run its course. Give it time. Now, this was also a proverb with the idea that there's no particular hurry for a task because things simply take time and you can't avoid the waiting. Jesus did not want his disciples to have this mentality. He wanted them to think as if and act as if the harvest was already ready. Well, you say, how can that be? There is a time between sowing and reaping. And yet he said, don't think like that. Lift up your eyes and see. Now, I think he meant that literally. And when they lifted up their eyes, what did they see? All these men coming up the hill that the woman had talked to. And as they were walking up the hills, the bodies were moving. It looked like wheat just swaying in the breeze. The harvest. And, and they, saw, they saw these men coming up. And here's the harvest. Now, what was he saying? Maybe we are sowing when we speak to someone. Maybe we are watering the seed that somebody sowed previously. Or maybe we're even reaping. The sowing and the watering has already taken place and this is harvest time. So what Jesus was saying is don't hold back. If the harvest is ready, it won't wait. Now, let's just look about this situation that, that we have before us. The prophets had sown the promise of the coming Messiah. Their, 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 their work seemed to be without fruit. They'd spoken often about Messiah. This woman was living in the hope of Messiah. When Messiah comes, he will show us everything, right? So they had sown prophet after prophet after prophet. At least in Samaria, they were still looking for the Messiah to come. But now came the harvest. And the Lord reminds his disciples of their indebtedness to the labours of those who have gone before. They could have said, well, we've just arrived here. We're only sowing seeds. Don't expect too much. Jesus was saying, it's always harvest time. Someone before you has sown the seed. Never just think, okay, well, um, you know, we've sown the seed and, 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 and we'll just leave it at that. No. Never think like that. Always expect this could be harvest time today. This could be the time to put in the sickle, to bring someone to Christ. We never know what seeds of truth may have been lodged in the hearts by others. Others have sown before us, so we can always expect to reap. So Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. He decides harvest time. But always be open and ready. Don't just say four months, you know. Uh, we just got to give it time. No, don't say that. You know, this, and, I, and I say this with great respect. Those that minister in, um, amongst Muslims in, in, in Muslim countries, there is a saying, and, and I, I, I have great respect for those people. They just give their whole life to that ministry, uh, which is an amazing thing. But, but I heard something a couple of times I've heard them say this, that there's a mentality that you expect 
to give your whole life and to build relationship and, and to build, you know, keep sowing and, and year after year after year, and uh, your whole lifetime you might see one Muslim come to Christ. Now, there's something that doesn't sit right with me about that because it takes out the God factor, you know? God can do anything in any situation. And we must always have the mentality, no matter how hard, I mean, the Samaritans were reckoned to be really hard and resistant towards anything that came from south, from Judea, okay? So they, they were not open and receptive. But here we're going to see there's a wonderful harvest time, not only this woman, but the men also be open and expectant. This encounter, by the way, prepared the way for the events of Acts chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. You know, the book of Acts, you remember that Philip was sent down to Samaria. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went to the, down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Now there was a, there was a sowing that went on with Jesus. Jesus spent time in Samaria, as we're going to see, two or three days he was there, and, and there was a lot of sowing that went on. People got excited, there was reaping as well, but, but when they left, obviously the buzz went around the place that the Messiah had come through and people were ready. So when Philip went down, he could have said, well, this is just a time of sowing. No, it was a time of reaping. Always be open. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He sent them to that place where he had sown the seed knowing that there would be harvest. Now, just another point on this. When Jesus said, other men laboured and you entered into their labours, he used a word which signified, signified to toil to the point of exhaustion. It's the same word used at the beginning of this chapter where we read that Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey. Now, there's a wonderful rest in God, but that rest doesn't mean um, that, you know, in, in, in doing the will of God, sometimes we get tired you know, but there's a difference between the tiredness that comes from being driven and just working for the sake of working and trying to make something happen. There's an exhaustion that comes from that, but there's also a tiredness from, that comes from doing the will of God. I mean, Jesus was so exhausted on one occasion for ministering to the multitudes, giving out that he just dropped to sleep in a boat, do you remember that? And slept through a storm, needed to be woken in the midst of the storm. That's how tired he was. So you know that I went to um, Kenya this year and uh, had a great time, but, but, but it was, from the time I touched down, the next day the program was on and never stopped for three weeks that I was there. And uh, we had six conferences in six different counties plus the traveling between each place, some by air, some by road. 
And I've got to say, you know, by the time I got to the last conference, I was barely standing. And um, I could not have done another conference, no doubt about it. I came home, it took me a week to recover. But there was, it was a satisfied tiredness, doing the will of God. And now we've seen the fruit of it because, you know, Ros and David can tell you, since I've come back, we've opened several little Bible schools there, several that are going, little pockets of believers coming together, going through the material on USB, and uh, it's growing all the time. It's, in fact, it's growing very fast. Uh, that's, can you see the difference? Because you're doing the will of God, you know, people say there's a rest for the people of God. Yes, there's a rest, and the rest is that you're just knowing that you're not the one that's making it happen. You're just doing what the Father has ordained for you to do and leaving the results to Him. Amen. And sometimes that's very tiring. I think, I think sometimes people leave here on a Sunday morning very tired. Come on, hands up those that have a nap when you go home. <laughs> Name them and shame them. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> okay. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Friends, there are works in grace, but they're good works. Dead works are if we're trying to do something to get God to do something for us. Jesus is qualified for every good thing. Amen? Everything God wants to do in your life is already paid for by Jesus. But good works are those works we do in response to him and response to the will of God. And the Bible says that when the grace of God appears to us, it makes us zealous of good works. Amen? There is a, a, a beautiful laboring in Christ, which leads to the point of tiredness, but is satisfying because it's all in God. And Jesus said that in this harvest, both the sower and the reaper rejoice together at the end. Do you see how God has used us all beautifully, one after another in this process? The fruit and the reward will last for eternity, he said. Not only do those saved through the labors of others receive eternal life but the joy of both the saved and the laborer will be eternal too can you just have you ever tried to imagine that in heaven when you when you meet up with those people that led you to christ and uh you, they were so faithful you know there's a man that led me to christ and i tried to track him down many times but i could never track him down i think well, he's definitely with the lord now but I'm so looking forward to seeing him. because He, he just had a, you know, a little church, a little chapel. There's only about half a dozen people in, in this church. But he was faithful. And this kind of thing will be multiplied millions of times in eternity. We will catch up with those who faithfully share with us and we'll rejoice together. Rejoice together in this wonderful ministry. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Okay, we're almost there. Many of the Samaritans of the city and many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me all that I ever did think about that what was it he told her we know what it what it was her immoral past he told me but but she was full of joy because as it says in the chapter before Jesus has not come to condemn us, but to give us eternal life. Amen? Anyway, 
So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the saviour of the world. Wow, this is revival, friends. Her testimony opened the door that their own encounter with Jesus led to personal faith in him. I've discovered that in, in ministry many times over, that often God would do a work in one person and that person will be the key to go back and share that with her loved ones. In fact, I was sharing on the radio this morning, this, which is coincidental because that was recorded a long time ago, that God often uses us to minister to our oikos, our household, which is an extended family sort of thing. It means not only your family, but your neighbours and those that are close to you, your friends and so on. And God uses us to minister to them. And that's what happened in this woman's life. She opened the door, but all these others came in. Amen. He stayed there two days. This was remarkable in light of the opinions of the Jewish people of Jesus' day regarding the Samaritans. They didn't even talk to each other. They wouldn't associate with each other. They avoided one another. In the days Jesus spent among the Samaritans, he taught them and many more believed. Remember, Jesus left Judea because it was not safe for him to be there. Even though they had seen miracles, many did not believe. But in Samaria, they never saw a miracle, yet many believed. Those that say, you know, people won't get saved unless they see miracles. Well, I never saw a miracle. Probably you never saw a miracle when you got saved. You heard the word. God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save people. It's the word, the truth, the gospel, the good news that saves people. This whole incident is another example of God using the weak and even despised. The woman at the well had been divorced five times and Jesus still used her. Don't let people count you out because you've had, you have a complicated past, if that's the case. Jesus preserves your future. Your, your past does not determine or dictate your future. We're not products of our past. Thank God for that. We're products of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for this beautiful lesson that we see from your word that encourages us that one sows, another reaps. And Lord, we must never say that the harvest time is not now. We have to wait. We have to just be patient and, and, and uh, think in terms of long term because Lord, every day you want to bring people into the kingdom. Lord, we don't have to stress, we don't have to strive, we don't have to make this happen, but we just need to be available to you. And today we say, Lord, we are available to you today and throughout this coming week. We pray that you'll lead us by your spirit and give us the boldness to share your love and your truth with those that you connect us with, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.